there's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of, you know, uh, is this program for me? Is the tech industry for me? Absolutely. So they come out of our program seeing that not only do they belong, but that their ideas are desperately needed to be quite honest in, in the tech industry. Uh, and so when you get these students this early on in their career journey, not only do they stay in the computer science or in the STEM field, uh, then they're able to not just pursue the degree, but have, have the skill sets to get a good job, regardless of whether it's a big company or a small startup. In one of the most enjoyable interviews I've had, Lazaro Carrion joins us and introduces us to an educational program that truly is needed. The director of the competitive new technologist program put together by Microsoft and Cyborg Mobile gives hands-on training for underserved and marginalized college students where they get to learn significant modern technologies to help their voices become major future contributors to the world of tech. I'm sure you'll enjoy the show. Hey, Lazaro, I know I pronounced your name wrong the first time, so you need to tell me how to pronounce your name or, you know, uh, the right pronunciation of, of your name. Could you, do you mind doing that? Thank you for, for doing that before. Yes, uh, Lazaro Carrion. Lazaro Carrion. Carrion, yes. Okay. The, the double role is a challenge, but no worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us here on Educate. Uh, we really, really appreciate you, you being on the show. Um, obviously, you're here because uh, your wonderful wife, uh, I had a chance to interview her. And then after we finished the interview, she was like saying, you need to interview my, my husband. She, you know, you know he, he's quite the guy in the education space. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nah, no, our pleasure. So, uh so with our show, we, we like to start off by, by actually learning a little bit, obviously, of our guests. Um, so I've already said some really nice things about you, I believe, here at the beginning of the show. So, you know, definitely told all our studio audience. We don't have a big studio yet, but uh, our audience, um, who you were. But uh, uh, if you don't mind, could you share a little bit about uh, what, you, what you're doing these days and, and maybe even talk about maybe some of the education things that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So... I grew up in the Yakima Valley, uh, which is central Washington state uh, area. It's migrant uh, cities, towns, you know, a lot of migrant labor. So I was originally born in Mexico. And when I came to the U.S. at the age of seven, you know, all I knew was migrant labor. It's like this is this is what, you know, what we can contribute uh, to society. And over time, education actually became the beacon of where we're aiming, where we're going, where, we're, where my family, my friends, my peers are, are looking to strive uh, to. Uh, so I ended up, uh, I was actually undocumented during that time and you know my options were limited, but I was able to get a degree uh, at Women College uh, in sociology and Latin American studies. Uh, but again, you know, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, if, if you're undocumented in this country, your options are going to be limited. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result of those limitations, um, I was able to find my first contract uh, work through the College Success Foundation. Uh, and I was able to work at, on a program called the HERO program, so Higher Education Readiness Opportunity. And within this program, we focus on helping uh, you know, middle school and high school students to understand what are all the different requirements just to graduate from high school 
person. Right. Secondly, what are the tools and what are the things you need to do to go on to college? And so it was really fascinating because um, I actually ended up getting one of those scholarships when I was in high school. Mm. And so I quickly learned the value and the importance of, you know, A, participating in a program like that as a recipient, and B, now that I've been able to utilize resources and, and a scholarship like that, how do I give back? So that's why that, that first position after college, it was very important to me, uh, very insightful. But then I caught myself, you know, talking to these students and, and, and letting them know, it's like, hey, you can, you can pursue your dreams. You can do everything you want or whatever you want. Uh, and then, you know, it's kind of like looking in the mirror and I was like, wait a minute, am I doing, you know, what I want? Am I, am I pursuing my dreams? And, and don't get me wrong, that was a version of my uh, dream job at the time, mm-hmm. but I had different aspirations. And I knew that if I stayed in this country, uh, in the US, I was, as an undocumented person, I was not gonna be able to pursue my dreams. So what I decided to do was self-deport. So I went back to Mexico uh, wow. after graduating from college uh, because I didn't really have any options. This is before DACA was a thing. Um, you know, we, I think in Washington state, had uh, some legislation that was favorable for undocumented folks, which allowed you to pay in-state tuition. And that was considered a win at that time, right? And so, you know, in, in a moment where, you know, you're looking to leverage your education, you're looking to add more value into your life and to other people's lives, and you're just trying to grow. I just thought going back to Mexico was the best thing. And uh, and at the time, so I, I went back, ended up doing marketing, consulting work, uh, particularly online digital marketing. And, you know, didn't really understand how valuable that was going to be uh, in, first of all, in Mexico, but secondly, as a global skill. And and so this is what, 2008, in the, in the beginning of the recession, right? Wow. And and so doing consulting work, doing translation services, marketing work, and uh, I was able to just kind of get a taste of what the tech world really entails. And, and um, you know, after four years in Mexico, uh, I found a legal pathway to return to the U.S., which we can talk about, uh, you know, if that is of interest. But it took me four years to come back. Um, I, I, I became a resident in 2012 and, you know, moved to Seattle uh, with my then fiance, who's now my wife. And Seattle's a huge tech hub. I didn't yeah. realize that the skills that I had that I learned and, and acquired in Mexico were going to be invaluable here. And you know, you talk about the power of social media, LinkedIn, for example, uh, just updated my, what, what do you call it, the, your headline, looking for opportunities in marketing in Seattle. Uh, and right away, my network, my Whitman alums, or just other uh, people that I knew in the industry just hit me up and said, hey, we're looking for someone with your skill sets. And do you want to, you know, have an open conversation with our hiring manager? And did, did e-commerce for, for about three to four years at a company called Immersant. Um, learned how to, you know, not just manage big budgets in the marketing space and the retail space, uh, but work with engineers, work with PMs, work with different stakeholders. Uh, but I wasn't passionate about selling jewelry, shoes, or different <laughs> sure. things online, you know. But I learned the the hard skills that you need to to, you know, make a business grow, to add value to not just clients but the organization. And uh, said, how do I apply these skills and and help? you know, my community or, or, or underserved communities and uh, ended up working for a company called Remitly for about three and a half years. And Remitly helps immigrants send money around the world through their mobile phones, which is which is a great service because when you think about how immigrants just get gouged at Western unions or big organizations, you know, you shouldn't be charged $10 to send a hundred bucks. Why not charge them $3, which we did, right? And, and so 
it was it was a wonderful experience. And, and you know, when I when I think about the value of of, of, a, of an experience like that in an organization like Remilly, I, I I looked around me and I looked at the, just the industry in general, and I was like, where are the other Latinos? Where are the other underrepresented minorities? Right? Why am I the one percent of you know of of underrepresented folks at my organization? So instead of you know complaining and 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 just identifying the issue at hand, I said, how can I be part of the solution? And so I ended up transitioning to my current role, which is I'm a project director for Cyborg Mobile. At Cyborg Mobile, we're a tech and business consultancy. Uh, we we elevate you know, businesses through diverse talent. So we're a strength-based organization. And what that means is, you know, you have different experts from different fields. Mine's marketing, mine's working with students. And, and you know, I do a lot of things uh, with, with nonprofits on my free time. Uh, but to be able to combine all of my experience and my background in a way that I can provide a client like Microsoft, for example, uh, a, a an opportunity to grow a program, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, called The New Technologist, uh, it's it's a summer academy, so it's think of it think of it as school meets apprenticeship, right? It's a combination of of those things where we give students, uh, freshmen and sophomores in college, the chance to uh, get hands-on skills uh, in the tech industry, learning from senior engineers, senior developers, senior PMs, uh, learn a product lifecycle, learn how to prototype, and at the end of the program, they get to build a functioning you know, mobile app or web app, depending on what the focus is of the summer. So from an educational standpoint, you know, it, it, it's really important not just to bring, you know, young professionals into a internship or apprenticeship type of environment. You have to give them, you have to set them up for success. And, and so we have a curriculum-based component. We also have hands-on application. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm, I serve multiple functions, but the one that, that the hat that I love the most is the dean of students, right? I, they they dub me that, um, you know, every summer, and because of the one-to-one -one relationship that I have uh, with their students. And so, for so what I currently do now is I help these students come into to this program. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of, you know, I, is this program for me? Is the tech industry for me? Absolutely. So they come out of our program seeing that not only do they belong, but that their ideas are desperately needed. To be quite honest, in, in the tech industry. Uh, and so when you get these students this early on in their career journey, not only do they stay in the computer science or in the STEM field, uh, then they're able to not just pursue the degree, but have have the skill sets to get a good job, regardless of whether it's a big company or a small startup. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, great, great background on that all. Um, you know, apprenticeship, you, you talk about apprenticeship and, and, and honestly, I, I've been hearing that as more of a, I mean, I don't want to call it a buzzword. I think it's it's truly needed, right? It's it's something that is more. Um, it's not the internship, right, where someone gets a, a bunch of just menial tasks. Um, it's actually the hands-on stuff that these kids or young adults need, and so that is very cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, and how that program's like, uh, uh, you know, doing today. I mean, and tell us a little bit about the program. And how did it come about? Um, you know, it's really cool that you're the dean of students, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. You know, the, the pro we're in our seventh year, going into our seventh year. So, you know, the first cohort, I think we had about maybe seven students. So, it's, you know, when you talk about a, launching a pilot program, you want to have proof of concept, right? And it takes it takes multiple uh, parties to make this happen. And huge shout out to to Microsoft, huge shout out to Cyber Mobile, because, you know, coming together to 
Now you have to have like the talent sourcing component, but you also have to have the environment in the tech industry to, you know, provide mentorship, to provide, you know, the resources, the championing, you know, behind a huge corporation like Microsoft uh, to invest in a program like this. And, you know, coming into our seventh year now. So last year we had a hundred students in our program. Wow. Uh, these are freshmen and sophomores from around the world, right? We, we focus primarily on, on US, uh, you know, students, but a lot of these students are also coming from different parts of, of the world. And so this is why I consider it a global program. Uh, but our recruitment is limited to, to the US institutions. And, and, you know, we have, it's a very competitive application process. Uh, and once students are admitted, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's a seven week program. Uh, we, part of my function is to set them up for success before the program starts, right? It's like, we'll give them a heads up on how do you, what do you need at home? And this is a program that we've done both in person on campus at Microsoft. And this past summer we did it remotely, which brought a new whole set of challenges. Uh, it was very interesting to see how, you know, it, it was a new game for everyone, right? These students maybe started the first semester or quarter at school virtual learning, which they weren't really huge fans of. So how do you then iterate really quick to make a program that is still going to apply, give them skills? So it took a lot of commitment from not just the students, not just from Microsoft and ourselves, but like having it all come together, it, it was it was just magical. So once these students enter our program, you know, uh, there's a curriculum component. Uh, the, the coding languages that we teach vary year over year. Sometimes we keep it consistent, but depending on the, the trends of, of the industry, we want to make sure that what we're teaching is relevant. Um, and, and these are students that, that as they may be familiar with Swift, they may be familiar with React, they may be familiar with whatever language it may be, they don't have to be. We teach them everything they need to know. Uh, and so think about it this way, you know, in the morning, students get a chance to kind of have a, a, a learning environment in front of actual professors who, who are teaching these concepts and, and, and tools in school. But we, we, we pair them up and integrate them into our program so that in the afternoons, the students can uh, apply what they're learning, uh, not just with their small teams, but with the senior leadership, you know, ex uh, the senior engineers or the senior PMs that are taking time out of their busy day, right, to, to work with these students and help them design and develop what is the problem statement? What are you looking to solve for in, in, in this world? Uh, okay, once you've defined your user and your personas, um, you know, how do you prototype uh, your, your app? And, and what, what is the purpose? What are the key features that you want to highlight and develop? Uh, and then once they, as a team, decide what they want to do, then they actually build it, right? Wow. Wow. And so you talk about uh, an accelerator that gives students like end-to-end -end full experience. And again, you know, it's, it's very hands-on. Um, and, and as a result of this hands-on, uh, and it's very tailored to ensuring that every student succeeds, uh, we, we ensure that we're, we're having different Friday checkpoints. We, we teach them the sprint cycle. We teach them, you know, how do you, how do you get sign off um, from your spec, from, from your different, you know, decision makers on your team. And, and then ultimately at the end of the program, students get the chance to present their final project to the Microsoft executive teams. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, I, uh, I'm sorry. I was so enthralled or just engaged in listening to what you're saying. I was like, I was being silent. And that's, that, that's rare for me to be honest. <laughs> so no, I'm just, I, I, I was thinking of a lot of different things as you were talking about this program, because 
um, I could see older people even wanting this this incredible curricula because I mean the first thing that hit me was wow it's Microsoft and you guys you know with your your company and and just you know the, the basically the private sector you know coming together and and, and just doing no offense to all the public institutions and even the private institutions out there like anything from mit to carnegie mellon or whatever the case may be you're doing what ultimately the jobs of colleges or 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 you know maybe even you know vocational schools or or even coding camps are are trying to do you're doing exactly what what in all honesty they you know when they come out of these programs they should be doing you know hitting the ground and and so um, first off, let, let me let me just for the, the sake of the audience, um, because, you know, they may not know um, anything about this program because you're right. It, it's very competitive, it sounds like. So tell, tell us a little bit about what the name of the program is just one more time. And then tell us if people do want to actually apply uh, how to do it. Um, and, then, and then finally, uh, maybe, you know, uh, um, any tips, if you don't mind, because this sounds like a, a very, very cool program where, where kids throughout the world would probably like, you know, how do I do this? Yeah, the program is The New Technologist. Uh, you, can, you can find more information around our program at newtechnologist.com. Okay. Uh, application opens typically in January every year. So we're, we're you know, about what, three, four months away from the next uh, open in application. It's about a two to three month uh, process from, you know, not just a screening uh, applicants, but also working with the partner, uh, Microsoft, and ensuring that, you know, they're making the final hiring decisions, right? So we got to make sure that uh, the students that we're targeting uh, are, are eligible for the program first and foremost. And, and so, you know, a, a, few, a few key things that I think make a, a successful applicant in our program is, first of all, you need to be a, a freshman or sophomore uh, at a public institution, right? Accredited institution. And I think what makes our, and the reason I say accredited institution is we actually are specifically targeting underserved and marginalized communities, right? So underrepresented minorities, and that goes beyond ethnicity and race. Uh, we've had, you know, I believe we have one one alum who uh, has back, a background within military. We have, you know, different age community college. Uh, there's different ways to, to provide pathways for students that are looking to break into tech. Uh, and as you know, within the tech industry, uh, underrepresented minorities are, are very, the argument is that it's very difficult to attract that talent. Well, where are the opportunities for them to get the experience? It's kind of like, you need an ID to get ID. Well, right. give the opportunity, give create some options here for them to get some basic experience for them to become eligible. Um, and so that's what our program does. We give them hands-on experience before they graduate. Uh, so coming back to what makes a, an ideal, uh, you know, attractive candidate, someone who is curious, someone who is looking to to explore the world of tech. You know, we look for someone who has uh, had a, a intro to computer science or equivalent. Um, and, and we're flexible on what that means. You know, just tell us, like, why is that uh, in your application? Tell us why why that aligns within the STEM world and, in, and within tech and in particular. But our program does tailor the experience towards software engineering and program management. Uh, so, so if it's students, you know, who have applied for like, hack, like have participated in hackathons or, you know, are part of their student club organizations that are focused on robotics or computer science, there's ACMs, there's, you know, the NSBs, the, the, uh, the ships organizations out there that, that target different 
uh, community groups to elevate their experience and, and their presence in the tech world. So, you know, it's just talking about like, what is their story? Why do they want to pursue, you know, why are they curious about, about the world of tech? And, you know, there's different stages in the application, but it initially is just tell us who you are, why tech and, and, and why now kind of thing. Interesting. And, and just to clarify, it's for high school kids or it's for college? Oh, sorry. Thank you for asking. It's freshman and sophomore in college. Got it. So college students out there, you now know about a, a brand new program. If not, I mean, not a brand new because it's been seven, eight years in existence, but but definitely a program that maybe people have not heard of. Um, and, and so tell us what some of the numbers are. are, are so, uh, um, you know, I don't know how many applicants are applying and I assume the, the, the more people find out maybe through the show and through other, other channels. Um, and, and you said it's very competitive. So is it something like a Stanford, you know, uh, admissions rate level, like 4% or is it even worse um, or more challenging? Like uh, I think it's Y Combinator, the accelerator that's like at 1%. That's a very good question. And I, I'm going to intentionally keep some of that information confidential, but I will say this, I will say this. Um, we get several thousand applicants and we only admitted a hundred students last summer. So, you know, you can kind of get a sense of, uh, oh, and let me just say this, the, the, the recruitment side of things in terms of how many applicants we get is not a problem. It's are we recruiting and bringing in the right type of applicants that are getting overlooked by recruiters from other organizations, right? So one example of that is, you know, why aren't university recruitment teams going to community colleges as much as they should be? Um, why are they, you know, who are they screening in versus screening out? Um, how do you look, how do, are they looking and viewing non-traditional students studying STEM? And, and you know, and are you, are you taking into consideration potential, not just existing skill sets? Because these different demographics, the different communities that we recruit in, you know, we're taking into account the whole picture not just what's your GPA, not just what coding languages do you know now. If you don't know any, is there a story behind that? You know, because it, we really truly believe that it's the whole package beyond just, you know, someone who is coming from like an Ivy League school, which maybe there's more resources available, more recruiters available, more opportunities to kind of iterate and polish your resume. Uh, we want to look at, we want to look at institutions. We want to prize institutions and partners that work with students that tend to get overlooked and underserved. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, um, do, do you guys feel like you're pioneers here? Because I'm curious if other organizations, obviously like Google or Apple and whatnot, you know, because Microsoft obviously is one of the big three or four. Um, are there other programs like this or is this pretty unique? My understanding is that this is a pretty unique program, partnership, and overall experience. I think there's elements that exist in other, if you want, whether you want to call them internships or apprenticeships, because ours is an academy, right? But it has elements of apprenticeships. It has elements of internships, it has elements of, you know, how do you get one foot in the door in tech while also having transitional stages beyond the program? So it's not just like you come through our program and we're done with you and like, good luck with your career. I stay in touch with these students. I build relationships with these students. And ultimately, whether they go to Microsoft, Facebook, Google, your Twitters, or your small startup, I don't care. And, and I don't mean I don't care as like, I don't care about their success. I could, I do, I, I, I want them to pursue the career that's gonna energize them. I want them to pursue a career within tech if possible, 
no matter where it is, right? And so, you know, if, if they're not a good fit for a specific culture, specific, you know, size organization, great, let's find the right fit for you. And so when you think about how many alums we have now, we're going into our seventh year, these aren't freshmen and sophomores currently. These are full-time working professionals across multiple uh, tech companies in the nation around the world. And and as, as we start to develop more intel and information around like, where are they? What are they doing? They're giving back, right? They're, they're, we're, we're creating a family here where we're helping each other, bringing insights. Uh, and so in that regard, absolutely, I doubt other programs are doing that. So tell us, I mean, that's a great segue. Um, you know, since the program is in its seventh or eighth year now, um, you must have some cases that were in the first or second class that are currently out in the workforce. And, you know, you're probably seeing some of the successes, you know, um, you know, and you you being also a student that, you know, or sorry, now an adult, but, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, given opportunities like the ones that you, you took advantage of, obviously you're succeeding and doing well. Um, but tell us a little bit. I mean, you don't have to obviously use their names or anything like that, but maybe just kind of maybe describe what, what you think that's kind of happening from the program now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, we have, when we look at earlier cohorts uh, of students where, you know, we're talking about students that are getting not just overlooked at their current community college or four-year institution, um, the, imposter, the imposter syndrome is kicking in. The program, computer science or within STEM, is weeding them out. You know, they're losing interest. There's no one reach, reaching out to them and saying, hey, you can do this. And so before they even get to their junior year and, and declare that major, they're like, I'm going to go to something that's a little bit easier, a little bit more safe. Um, and so earlier cohorts, you know, we, we identified that. And so when our program, we, we thought about the different systems of support that we could provide, not just within the program, but after the program. Uh, it's like, what what were the skills that, that you need to gain? What are, what are the areas that based on the feedback you needed to grow? How do we help with that? And so, you know, just looking at Microsoft in itself, like most most students do want to go back to Microsoft. Mm -hmm. uh, they're given a, a job opportunity, whether it's a subsequent internship or a full-time offer. And, you know, we have several that are at Microsoft right now in different engineering departments and working as, you know, PMs or engineers and, you know, helping whether it's Outlook, whether it's Teams, uh, Microsoft is so big. So there's so many different you know, sure. departments that are supportive. But and what's cool about that is, you know, to look back and say, wow, I remember you were a sophomore that, you know, you didn't even know if you were going to graduate from college. But then suddenly you you discovered a passion for tech. You enhanced your skill sets. You built that confidence. You developed a network. And once you were able to interview, you, you got the experience to understand how to answer technical questions, how to answer behavioral questions, how to, how to perform well during an interview and on the job. So it, it's something that, you know, what they'll take with themselves, they'll take that with, with them, whether they go to Microsoft or they go to other tech companies or they build their own organization. And so we're still in the early stages of figuring out what are, what are these alums doing once they enter the full-time workforce. Uh, but it's exciting to see to see the early trends that the vast majority are finishing with a with a STEM degree. Uh, many of them are are going to to Microsoft. A lot of them are looking to kind of compare, right? What, what's the difference between a tech company versus a, a small startup company versus a large corporation? Uh, and and just kind of dabbling to figure out before they truly commit, you know, to to one organization. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I'll be frank. 
Um, I've been working for, let's see, you know, close to 30 years now. And um, growing up in the Seattle area, Microsoft was always like the great company to, to interview for. Right. And so um, and then I've had a lot of friends who've either joined or still there. And, uh, you know, the entry into Microsoft's not easy. Like it, I remember at one point it was really, really like it was the Harvard or, or Stanford of, of jobs. And, you know, I've interviewed with the company at least once or twice, I can think in recent memory. And I knew that my chances were very low because I didn't have this kind of opportunity. Or I knew that because I came through a different path, it would be very, very challenging to get a job. So actually, this sounds like literally applying to Microsoft seven years early or, or whatever, right? Or, or, or sorry, three or four years, because if they're, they're starting their freshman year and then whatever the case may be. So they probably have a little bit of a, a better chance to get into the company. Am I correct? Absolutely. They, they get to get exposed to the culture. Um, they get objective, constructive feedback from full-time engineers and PMs that, you know, give them, gives the students a sense and a taste for, you can do this. You can make it. You're on track. You're exactly what we're looking for. Your ideas are brilliant. Obviously, you're early in your in your technical journey. Build on that, right? Learn this next coding language. This is where you have a knack. This is where your strengths are. Here's your opportunities. And to hear that at a at a tech company that is thriving globally, as opposed to the kind of feedback that you get at a four-year educational institution or a two-year educational institution. It, the kind of feedback is different, right? And, and and on that note, like it is just the kind of collaboration that is promoted at school versus the collaboration that you need in the tech industry is very different, right? One example of that is, you know, I, I know talking to students this past summer, at school, sharing your code and collaborating is considered plagiarism, but working in a small team in the tech industry is considered collaborative, you have to share code, you have to take a look at, do peer review, you have to you know, ensure that you're getting the proper sign off before you deploy something. And that in itself is a huge fundamental difference about our program as opposed to what a student wouldn't get if they just finish four years and then go straight into an inter uh, interview after college. Like you don't know how much you're missing out on and how much of a, a disadvantage you actually are in by not having an experience like the one our program offers. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, geez, there's just there's so many cool aspects about this program that, you know, I'm so glad that we got to talk about because, um, yeah, first off, no one or not no one, but I think very few people know about this program. And because and one thing you'd mentioned earlier, which I think is really, really cool, is the fact that, you know, you're not necessarily going to a Harvard or a Yale, right? You, you're actually at a community college potentially, and you, you're, you're looking at the kids that are in those programs where maybe uh, maybe their families were struggling and, and they had no idea, uh, you know, how to get into those better institutions or have the funds. Right. So they just kind of gave up a little bit earlier or they thought, oh, you know, community college or vocational schools, all I can do. So that's what I'll do. But then, like you just said, then they get this opportunity and then these big, you know, names in, in the tech sector are going you are actually Harvard material, or maybe you are, uh, you know, Carnegie Mellon, you know, if we're talking about tech, right? So, uh, so that's what's happening here, basically, right? Yeah, and don't get me wrong, we have students in our program every year from your Harvards, from your Stanfords, from these Ivy League schools. And what's really interesting, Brandon, is that I'm not going to say they're the ones that struggle the most, but they struggle in a way that you wouldn't think they would. And for example, 
you know, imposter syndrome does not care what school you go to. (laughs) And on top of that, the pressure and the expectations are much higher if people know you came from those institutions. But you know what? If, for example, if I would have gone to like your Harvard or or your Princeton's and, and with my background, like externally, people are gonna be like, well, you go to Harvard, you go to Princeton, but they wouldn't know, first of all, my upbringing or my history my story before I even got to Harvard or to Princeton, right? And and so it, they wouldn't understand. They're like, I actually don't know what is going on. Like this is this is like yes, maybe I'm book smart, but I may not be street smart, or I may not have like the, the knowledge that I need to survive in the world. And so there's different challenges. And so we find that a lot of students, regardless of what institution you come from, everybody's coming in at at a at a different um, stage in, in their journey, but everybody's learning together and growing in similar ways. Yeah, no, you know, the other thing that really excites me about this, because um, as you know, uh, BLM is an issue. Uh, BLM uh, was an issue most recently, and that's why a lot of riots occurred and stuff like that. But what what frustrated me um, personally was the fact that a lot of people who were not about BLM or about, you know, HLM or AAM, we'll just use every ethnicity that basically exists, right? you know, the people who were not about that originally. I mean, you and I, you know, being, you know, uh, uh, minorities, I would say in the United States, you know, we grew up feeling it, you know, and, and you know, I had racial attacks right and left growing up, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was always, I always felt like a minority. And so even though, you know, Koreans I know are doing very well academically now and whatever the case may be, I still felt like crap in, in no offense in a, in a white society. And, and so, Um, What frustrated me about the BLM was then all these people are all of a sudden like, you know, okay, BLM, you know, like they're, 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 you know, like rooting for everybody. But wait a second. It's people like you or or people like your program that were already doing it. Right. And you were already fighting for those kids who are are honestly maybe. And and you you and I spoke about this kid, uh, uh, Alex, uh, um, we won't talk about his last name, but you know, he's, he's still trying to figure out, you know, I haven't heard from him in a while and he's, he's probably struggling. You know, he might have some situation. He's, he's, he's a son of a, a, of a single mother household. I saw his mom come into the house one day when we were talking, you could tell that she's like, what the heck is this? You know, uh, uh, you know, probably questioning why somebody would even want to help her son. Um, so she doesn't even know, you know, all, all the steps to get his, her son into a Harvard, which is where he dreams to go. So, no, I, I want to applaud you and, and, and the program because uh, in all honesty, uh, uh, this is the stuff that I wish we would have heard about more, or I wish, you know, instead of, uh, of just, you know, putting hashtag BLM, or, or, or having your black friend uh, next to you as a white person, you know, in this image on Instagram showing that, you know, you support the black community or, or whatever the case may be. And, and no, 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 dis, you know, disrespect to a lot of people who probably had that. And that was maybe accidental in the way they're representing themselves. But, but still, you were doing it a long time ago. So thank you. I mean, it, just from the bottom of my heart, because, uh, uh, you know, that it, it just... I'm just so happy to see, uh, uh, you know, honestly, programs like this. And, and that's why I was asking you, right? Like, you know, it, it is, is this program unique? And it sounds like it is. Uh, I mean, and, and tell, tell us just at least one last bit. How did you get involved? Was it, was it just mainly because you, you, you had already kind of done similar stuff? Or, or how, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I, I received a, a, a very 
amazing scholarship when I was in, in high school. And you know, when you, when having the experience that I had with the College Success Foundation and having a renewable four-year scholarship, uh, having mentors, you know, throughout my college journey, uh, I got to see different stages of what makes a successful program, right? So in high school, I got to experience that. In college, I got the mentorship and obviously the financial support. I graduate and then I get to see, you know, as a professional, this model works. Like I'm only a successful educated, with air quotes, you know, professional because I had the systems of support. I had mentors. I had the support that I needed to know that I could do it. Regardless of my circumstances, I made it, right? And, and so when I looked at the stage high school, college, now professional, I was thinking about how can I bring those all together? Because I do, I love volunteering. I have mentees, you know, in different industries. Uh, it's just having conversations like this. There's things that we take for granted around like, our knowledge that in just any basic conversation, somebody's walking away with actionable, you know, information that, you know, for them can make the difference between landing that next big job or making that next big decision that's going to catapult them to where they want to get or where they want to be. So, you know, as I mentioned with my experience in the e-commerce space and with Remitly, I, I just, oh, let me back over real quick. I have a son who's a year and a half old. And as I was holding him when he was born, you know, during my paternity leave, I, I was thinking about so many big existential questions around like, what's the legacy that I want to leave behind? Like, how do I ensure that someone like my son can, can have, you know, people in his life that are going to ensure that he can reach his full potential, no matter what that is. And, and so I started thinking about how can I be that person, not just for him, but for other people. And so when I started thinking about what I wanted next in, in my career uh, at Cyber Mobile, you know, this was like a one year interview process, right? Because I wasn't ready. I was committed to Remitly. I had so many, you know, helping expand throughout Latin America and love the job. And then I started thinking about, okay, what is that next big step? And, 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 and I learned about the opportunity and learned more about the program. And I was like, I'm doing that stuff for free on my free time, right? Like to get paid, to, be able, <laughs> right, to get paid, to fulfill my passion, to, to talk to students, to think strategically about how do you build a program? How do you scale it? How do you expand it to other organizations? How do you, you know, ensure that you're not only, you know, they call it talent sourcing, but no, it's talent sourcing, talent developing and talent building because it, it's, it's, it's a combination of all those different factors that, you know, we're thinking about consciously. And, and so when I was thinking about the whole package around like the impact that I can make, the value that I could bring, you got to think about where you get energized and, and, yeah. and mentioned, I get, I, I do this on my free time. So the fact that it's my full-time job now, in addition to a couple other projects that I work on, I, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, I did have one couple, uh, maybe maybe a couple more follow-ups. Um, so the program that you got uh, support in, to, so you could go to Whitman and, and and basically what led to it, is that program still around? Just out of curiosity. Yes. So the the organization is called the College Success Foundation. We're actually celebrating. Let me back up real quick. It's the Achieving the Dream. Uh, it's it's a celebration of twenty years. And in the last 20 years, the organization has uh, helped over 10,000 students graduate from college, which is a huge accomplishment, right? And at the beginning of the first uh, year, the funding, the private funding actually came from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and, and so, you know, talk about the vision, talk about aligning with other visionaries, um, you know, like Bob Craves, one of the founders of, of Costco, uh, and Ramsey Jenkins, you know, who's still involved with the organization and, and ensuring that the next generation of college students, you know, can have the access to college and graduate and succeed in, in whatever path they want to take in life. So the organization still exists. Um, I've been involved, you know, on the national board, uh, which is a really cool experience just to get to see how decisions are made and to give back at that level. Uh, so the training and the resources that are provided to alumni like myself, it's like, it's not just here's financial scholarship to go to college. No, it's an alumni network to, to help each other out and learn from other people in different industries. It's building professional skills like serve on the board, learn, learn how, how to make important decisions that are going to impact the organization and how does the budget going to be managed and allocated. So crazy things that like I had never been exposed to in college. And, and when you think about your trajectory and your growth and applying that to over 10,000 students, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, you know, uh, one thing, just so much good stuff from what you've said today. Uh, I, I want to just constantly or continue talking about this. Um, but one thing that our show does is we, we examine education because, um, you know, fortunately, programs like the one that you are involved in and the one that you're, you're building right now are in place. So we got that stuff working. But there's still unfortunately gaps and holes, right? And there's still, I mean, you had to go back to Mexico, right? You know, which was, you know, both good and whatever, right? Uh, uh, I think at that time, probably you and Emily had to unfortunately kind of, you know, do the long distance thing or whatever you want to call it, right? But, you know, it could have been better in some respect, but, you know, this isn't a relationship show. This is more about education, right? So let's, let's, let's focus on that part. But, but tell me, um, so even though you got a lot of support, do you feel like, uh, and we'll break into two parts here. One is your secondary school, like, you know, K to 12. Is there anything that you see that we could do better, you know, like in there? And then is there anything you can, you know, think of like at Whitman? Because Whitman was an amazing school. I mean, I I, I went to your guys' competitor, UPS. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately for me, you know, we're second to you or, or you know, but... I, and, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that because not only my 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 alumnus or alumni uh, probably going, what are you what are you talking about? Right. Uh, uh, but but I also been told from my good friend uh, and godmother of our kids, she's like, don't talk bad about your school. Uh, no. So, no, it's not bad. I'm just I'm just being honest here. Your school is pretty good. But but despite that all, um, you know, tell me what you had thoughts or have you had thoughts you know, or, or maybe it just went really well. Tell, do you have any thoughts about like what we can do better? Yeah, I would say pre-college. So K through 12, um, obviously it, it's very complicated to, to describe like the reality of how resources are allocated or available for different school districts. So for example, if levies aren't passed, certain, certain schools aren't going to have the resources or the programs to support students that desperately need programs to keep, keep them engaged, help cultivate skills. Um, and so it leaves a lot of the, the responsibility on parents, which they're working a lot of you know shifts. They're working multiple jobs at times. Like I know my parents were. And so it, I was exploring the world through my friends, right? And fortunately, I surrounded myself with good people. Uh, not everyone, but you learn from the good ones and the bad ones and, and you take the best out of both and run with it. So, you know, one example of where I think there's an opportunity from K through 12 is uh, I remember in high school thinking about, you know, is college even for me? 
um, I had I had the motivation to go to my counselor and say, hey, um, what you're offering here from scholarships and resources, I'm going to be candid with you. This is very personal. I'm, I'm undocumented. None of those things apply to me. Can you help me? Because everything you're putting on the bulletins, everything you're sending out to the students, that's great. Do that. But I need something that applies to me. Are there any scholarships that don't ask for a social security number? Are there opportunities where, where you know, I can I qualify for? And so it really was a mind shift for for a paradigm shift for for that counselor because she was like, oh, I thought this, I, I didn't even know that these scholarships required that for you. And like, okay, let me let me see what I can what I can do. And what happened was that she, this this counselor was able to then come back the next week and say, Lazaro. Here scholarships, all they need for you to submit is an essay, your transcript, and fill out the, the standard application. And believe it or not, like, you know, so Whitman is not, it's not an inexpensive school. It's a very expensive private institution. How is it that someone who is undocumented was able to go to a private, you know, liberal arts school like that and pay zero out of their pocket, right? It, it, it took, it took it, the onus is on the student, unfortunately, a lot of times to find those resources. But I was hungry, right? So, so how how can schools set everyone up for success? How do you how do you stop, you know, labeling and bucketing people into well, you're just going to be a farm worker, or you're going to be a mechanic, or college is not really for you? It's like, what are you doing institutionally to limit the vision of this of the student body, right? Like, and and not everybody is going to be, you know, your your straight A student. You can be a straight C student and still qualify for college and actually thrive in college. I know people who were terrible in, in high school from an academic standpoint, but then in college they were thriving. Another example is like I was in the IV, I was in the uh, IB program, International Baccalaureate. Thankful that my high school had that program, and I remember the perception was if from the students was you know if you are in that program you want to be white, you want to be like white people, and and so I think there's there's an opportunity for for you know, high schools to kind of help set up and make that make that an opportunity that applies to all. Like, how do you change the the perception of striving for high caliber, you know, uh, advanced learning, whether it's a running start or, or a program like that? And and what what happened is what happens then is you know students aren't thinking about well that program doesn't apply to me. It's like well why can't I be in that program right? Like why should I why shouldn't I participate in that program? And so in some ways, yeah, we. There were some students that shared, a, a, you know, my my ethnic background. So there were maybe three three Latinos out of like a class of thirty students. Um, so it is kind of like you are the minority, but but we all brought different ideas and added value in the conversations. And, and we were like, we can hang, we can definitely hang, right? But then, how do you change the perception of your peers? So it's kind of like twofold, right? From from the institution, but then also the students in high school. You know, you got to give students a chance to to dabble in so many different things. So, for example, uh, it, it's what I loved about the liberal arts education is that, you know, Whitman didn't teach me what to think, taught me how to think. And and in high school, you know, you're you're taught what to think, and you, you got to pass the standardized test. You got to pass, you know, you got to check the boxes. And so, what happens is, I, I think that forces people, students in general, to go through the motions and and just give the response that they think they need to give, regurgitate information that they heard. What do you think? What do you, how do you really want to articulate your ideas? What are your ideas? And, and so when a campus, whether it's a two-year vocational or four-year institution, gives students the chance to really dig deep and think 
beyond themselves and say, okay, what, what do I believe is the actual answer or possible solution to this global problem or this community challenge? And Whitman really gave me the opportunity to do that, um, whether it's looking at modern, modern day challenges or looking back at the philosopher era, right? And it's like, what, what were the issues then? And, and why, what is it about the thinking back then that still applies today? So just how to think, how to think, how to think and, and giving people an environment to play, to play and explore and, and apply. Interesting. Uh, we won't we won't go into Whitman. You know why? Because uh, um, the reason why I think this is uh, uh, it's not needed as much. But I mean, we we maybe maybe we'll do another show at some point and maybe dive into it. But uh, uh, I didn't tell Emily uh, this. I don't think, and and this will be new maybe to you. But the reason why I know Whitman is because when I was an avid debater in high school, Whitman was one of our stops, and I always found that tournament to be quite strong and so you guys were supporting um you know your school was supporting you know uh kids from a very young age in that uh regard and and you know i think there are a lot of great things i mean and, and i'm actually surprised after talking to both you and you know your wife like why there aren't more whitman graduates who are leading the world because um it sounds like you know it really did a good job uh for both you two and uh i i imagine all your classmates maybe maybe we will end with a little bit of uh, uh thoughts on whitman so tell us about your whitman experience uh briefly and 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 if you don't mind and and uh you know both good and bad it's up to you yeah yeah, yeah i went to whitman intending to be a sponge right how can i absorb as much information how can i learn as much as possible how can I interact with as many different groups and clubs and organizations? And and um, I wasn't intentionally thinking, how do I challenge myself? Because to be honest, I didn't think like that then. Uh, but I learned the craft of challenging your thinking, your premise, your your biases, uh, and, and just whether it's music taste, whether it's genres of books, whether it's, you know, who do you hang out with? Um, I joined the Greek system. I was the president of Black Student Union, which interestingly enough, you know, like I think this story that I'm about to tell applies because I remember at, on campus, you know, even my own Latino peers were like, you you are the Black Student Union president. Are you trying to be black? <laughs> no, no, no. I am the Black Student President because I want to bring awareness to not just this organization, but to celebrate the culture, to celebrate you know, what we're doing on campus and events. Because quite frankly, if, if you are only going to join the ethnic group that you belong to and you wonder why other people aren't interested, how do you expect them to learn about your culture if you're not doing the same? So reciprocation, right? Because that, that skill applies in real life. Like you have to be able to you know, engage with different cultures, different people, different thinking. And, and so I, I really give props to, to Whitman for giving me the opportunity to challenge myself in that manner. Um, you know, I, I, I met so many great people that I still stay in contact with today. I still talk to a couple of my professors that, you know, were part of my journey and, and were able to serve as mentors. Um, I would say one area that's obvious that uh, Whitman can definitely improve on is, you know, from a recruitment standpoint, you know, I, I, maybe it's the cost, but like diversity, they've mentioned that it is a focus and priority, but at the, at the end of the day, when I look at the numbers, there's room for improvement. Um, financially, again, it's, it's, it's very, it's very intimidating for someone who's low resource. And when you look at, you know, I'm not going to say every underrepresented minority is low resource, but chances are they're going to be, in my opinion, at least, you know, from, from what I've seen. And, and, um, and so that's an area, how do you bridge that gap and, and, and 
you know, make it make it possible for more students. So I'm contributing, like I, I give money back and, I, and I'm actually designating that that amount that I give. And I say for, for undocumented students, you know, whether whether you have a fund for it already or not, I'm making my voice heard. Uh, this is this is how I want you to allocate the funds because they contributed to my education as well. They, they, they provided they actually matched the scholarship that um, the College Success Foundation provided me, which made uh, you know, the cost of going to Whitman much easier. And so I'm forever indebted and grateful. That's fantastic. Uh, first off, uh, props to you for being the Black Student Union uh, uh, president. Uh, interesting fact. That's question five, by the way, answered already on our five Qs is what we're calling that from now on. So you don't have to ask, answer the last one. That That's a really uh, a great fact of yours. Um, it's funny because you said awareness, um, because when I created the Asian Awareness Association on UPS's campus, we had a similar situation. You know, the majority of the students were white. And so um, you know, my my very good friend, Terry, uh, who was president of the Black Student Union at the time, and I created the AAA, uh, uh, you know, which mm -hmm. I laugh and some people uh, laugh too, because I think they changed the name uh, because they didn't want to be the auto, what is it, the uh, Automobile Association or whatever, the AAA. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, props to you on that. Uh, that that's that's wonderful. Um, and, it, and it's great that you had a good experience at Whitman. It, 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 and hopefully they do open it up uh, at least to more uh, people that that honestly are, are taking advantage of your current program, the new technologist, right? And so if Whitman could could potentially open their doors, maybe they'd get more new technologist type of uh, students, right? So um, so no, good to hear that. All right, well we have to wrap up unfortunately, just because I want to make sure you get back to your son. <laughs> but also uh, uh, we'll we'll just uh, answer those five cues, is what we're calling it now, uh, moving forward. But we have four for you because we, we now know the answer to five so if you don't mind we'll, we'll just jump into them uh, so first question for you is uh who's your hero oh oh i mean i know the easy easy answer is to say you know my mother because she truly is my my one hero but if i'm sure you're looking for a different answer um wow that's a hard, I don't want to say that I don't have any heroes, but I will say someone that I truly admire and has really challenged me to think about the leadership role that I can play in society that is as close to his hero as possible, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk has made empathy and compassion, you know, a key thing and not, not just a key trait, but something to look forward to and to build and to promote. And I think that's missing a lot within within uh, not just the tech industry, but in, in life in general. So be an empathetic partner, be an empathetic friend, be an empathetic leader. Be How do you then transmit that to to every project you touch and the people that you, you interact with? It, it just really made me think beyond myself in ways that I didn't before I was exposed to him. Got it. Got it. No, no. Uh, your mother would have been a, a good answer too. But Gary, I, I never thought about in that way. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. Actually, one of my best friends, he always uh, shows me Gary's uh, videos and stuff like that, just because he loves uh, Gary and, and what he says. So, uh, but let 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 let's say it's a tie between Gary and your mom. <laughs> my mom's like leagues above, but it's like, yeah, yeah. No, 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 totally. No, my mom's my hero too. So uh, I, I, I relate on that one. All right. So second question is, uh, who, who's a great role model for society? I mean, it doesn't have to be uh, the same kind of question. I mean, you know, some people can interpret that, but, but yeah, up to you. Uh, who, who do you think might be a good person 
or, you know, uh, male or female, obviously, um, or even transgender right now. You know, these days, um, it doesn't really matter what sex. Uh, let, let, let's uh, think of anybody you can think of who, who's a great hero or not. Sorry. Role model. You talk about like a public figure. Um, it could be even a private, I would argue, because in all honesty, and, and you can just describe that person if they're not so well known. Yeah, I'm going to describe our president of, of my organization, uh, Cyber Mobile, Kobe Hatcher. Uh, Kobe is someone who has taught me not just how to have a candid conversation about life, business, but also what it means to really care. And how does that translate into the business decisions we make as an organization? So I have a seat at the table. You know, I'm able to really influence the direction of the organization. Um, you know, when we when I mentioned earlier about the strength based, we're strength based organization. It's like we handpick or folks that are join our org uh, for the for the value that they're they're going to bring not just to the service that we, services that we provide, but internally the culture that we've built, the culture that he's headed up. I, I let me just say that everybody at our, at our organization is uh, an underrepresented minority, right? And I've never in my life did I think that I would work for someone or somewhere where that would be the case unless I built it myself, right? And so talk about pioneering, talk about, you know, setting setting the vision in motion and to be a part of that. Uh, that's the kind of role model that, that I'm looking for, that I was looking for, because what I'm going to learn over the course of several years, you know, and how I'm going to amplify that in everything that I do stems from this experience that I'm having as a result of what he created at our organization. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah. Um, um, the third question is uh, one of my favorite, uh, actually, these days on the on the podcast is um, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, anybody from kids to young adults or even, you know, to, to middle aged uh, uh, individuals, even maybe even older, who knows? Um, struggle. Right. We all struggle. Um, life is not easy peasy for any of us. Uh, I don't care if you're the richest person on the planet. I don't care if you're the poorest. You, you definitely have times where it's not so easy. So um, I'm going to ask you, uh, like I've asked all my other guests, um, are there any tips you would give everybody else that helped you maybe during some of your struggles? Yeah, there's a lot there. So number one, um, don't polarize, you know, ultimatums, right? So it's like, I'm either going to do this or I'm not meant to do that. It's like, wait, explore the gray area, right? And, and and what I mean by that is like, just because you were rejected from a program or just because you didn't get the desirable, you know, outcome doesn't mean it wasn't meant for you. Maybe you just got to tweak something, you know, something it's nuanced, but like, what's there? What's the learning? So don't don't frame it as black and white, uh, which, which reminds me about uh, the circumstances you know, I've been told many times the last time the circumstances are never going to be perfect for you to jump and take that leap of faith and make the decision. Right. And, and, and so there's and another way that's called procrastination. Don't procrastinate. But like, you know, sometimes the circumstances, you're not going to have all your ducks lined up in a row. Uh, so, you know, based on what you know now, what can you do with it? So be resourceful. And, and, and lastly, I would say be creative. What creativity can you bring you know to the world no matter what you're doing no matter where you're at and so for example in my case i i didn't i couldn't work when i was in college so uh as a result of my 
challenges in life that I couldn't work um, legally. I had to, I couldn't make money. So I had to teach myself how to cut my own hair. And, and learning that skill allowed me to actually, you know, have my own little business on campus uh, called Last Dizzle's Ghetto Cuts, right? And, <laughs> and uh, I'm telling you, very profitable business. On That's campus. an awesome brand. You should yeah. be taking it nationwide. Anyway, sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I was creative given my circumstances to get what I need. And, and, you know, whether it was charging a fixed rate or just telling people, which by the way, if you tell people to give a donation, they will give you more. They will pay you more than if you would have just given them a flat fee uh, amount. So, you know, instead of charging seven, people would give me 20 bucks, 15 bucks, because that's what they're paying in Seattle. That's what they're paying in other locations. And I had my, my fun money right there to buy, go on trips or, or buy food or, or clothes that I needed. And implement the creativity that you have. Everybody has talents. Think outside the box of how you can apply that and don't be afraid to, to take that risk. The worst case scenario is it doesn't work, but at least you tried. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you. Um, and we'll do, like I said, we'll end with number four because uh, number five is just too cool. Um, number four is uh, what's your favorite dish or food or, you know, uh, what, what do you like to eat? Yeah, I love me some ceviche. Uh, so for those who don't know what ceviche is, it's, it's a... It's seafood, but it's, you know, it, you could have, you know, shrimp, you can make it from fish, you can make it from imitation crab, uh, but it's essentially a bunch of diced tomato, onion, cilantro, lime juice. Uh, you could have it with tostadas, which is like a fried tortilla, or you can have chips with it kind of like, like a dip. But what I love about it the most is that it's not just refreshing and healthy for you, uh, but it's honestly, I can eat it during any season. It, it's a great appetizer. It can be a whole meal in itself. And there's so many ways to make it, even within Mexico, regionally, depending on part, what part of the coast you're at, the food, ceviche is made very differently. Some people put a lot of like octopus in it, you know, depending on what their favorite seafood is, but ceviche is the bomb.com. And, and how do you spell ceviche just uh, for anybody who wants to Google it after this? Yes, C-E-V-I-C-H-E. Ceviche. Awesome. Awesome. No, definitely to look up. We're going to have to see uh Lazaro ceviche recipe. Yeah. <laughs> and then on top, some slices of avocado. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm going to be looking that up. All right. Well, thank you so much. I've taken way too much of your time. We are so lucky to, to have you honestly on the show. Um, uh, you know, I feel just like with your wife, uh, I feel like there's got to be an episode two with you. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we'll find some time later down the road. But uh, it was an honor meeting you. It was an honor, honestly, chatting with you. And I, I sincerely, next time uh, uh, when I come back up to Seattle, um, I'd love to meet you guys in person. Hopefully COVID will be all done by then. <laughs> but Absolutely. thank you. Yeah, and Brian, thank you for what you do and for, for giving me the opportunity to talk about the work that I'm working on. But ultimately, it's people like you that give a platform for all the amazing work other folks are, are, are doing in their communities. Uh, and the fact that you deeply care. I mean, you're, you're competing up there with Gary Vaynerchuk now in my book. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I, you know, I am just way too, oh God, I, I don't even know what to I'm speechless right now. I, you, you made me speechless for the first time in a long time. Anyway, no, uh, Lazaro, uh, and, and again, I, I'm going to have difficulty pronouncing it correctly, but I, I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for joining us here on Educate. We sincerely appreciate you spending some time and listening to our show. 
hopefully you enjoy and we would always appreciate a little review here at the bottom and on top of that if you don't mind subscribe and hope uh, to have you listen to more great episodes we want to share with you examining the focus of education thanks again look forward to seeing you back here on the show